Welcome back to Hire, everyone. The podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with and from experts in recruitment, entrepreneurship, marketing, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry. Oh, Nikki, but first, hit that beat. Hey, Nikki. Yes, Tom. You know, amidst all this entrepreneuring and slayage, every now and again, I just want to kick back and relax. Sounds like you're in need of some semi-educational, semi-hilarious story time. And where would I find that? Just ask the big shrimp. Excuse me? Jules. Who? Today's guest, Tom. Oh, that one. Yes, yes. I believe he will do rather nicely. Today's guest is the one and only Jules Howell, creative director of Proximity. To tell a tale. A tale of what the world of advertising is like. How it has changed and hasn't changed over time. And what makes it great today. And what kind of people Jules has seen sink or swim in this industry. Also, we'll tell you what this whole big shrimp business is about. Yes, let's go get it. We've got Jules in the virtual studio I. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jules. Now, we do this every episode. We ask our guests to make sure that they introduce themselves, but you're going up an elevator of a very tall building. So what building will we choose today, Tom? I don't know. Did we do the Alpha Tower already? Burj Khalifa. Mm. Oh, okay. So up you go. You're going in your elevator. Do your elevator pitch and let's us know what you are about. Okay, well, let, well, let's pretend it's a bungalow. That'll make things much easier for me. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, I thought I'd better come on here. And it, 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 we're all about brands, right? So I gave myself a brand. I'm Jules Howell, creative director. Not the biggest, not the best. Um, but, I, but I am here. Um, I've enjoyed a working life in the, in the UK, US and Europe. I've been lucky to have roles in different parts of the world. Um, and as I thought about this elevator pitch, I thought if I scrape all these things together, if I if I dust in every every corner I can find, if I put all this stuff in a bucket, I could probably just about call it a career. <laughs> but it's uh, but it's beaten the hell out of a real job. Uh, and I think I've worn a tie about three times, probably <laughs> twice to just to keep to tell my mother I'd done it and she could feel proud. <laughs> but uh, but here I am. Started working in in 1988 when God was a lad and and still going and still enjoying it. So that's me. And we love having that kind of person on. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So now, if you're a recurrent audience member, dear audience member, then you know that obviously we've asked Jules to retain some of his well, most well-kept career development and personal brand secrets until the end of the episodes because we just love spending time <laughs> with you so much. All right, everybody. So we're going to start this episode out, as always, with a little bit of myth busting. So Jules, we have asked all of our guests this month the same loud and moderately silly question. Agencies, marketing, fame, glory, fancy cars, power. That's what a career in advertising is all about. Or is it? I think I think that's what we thought when we started. Um, <laughs> I think it still is. Um, I think one of the, the, the great things that dawned on me is or, or I, I learned is that people say that the golden days are over. I always seem to join an agency where 
it was the previous year they had the best summer party and more people got thrown in the pool. Or I joined an agency where they said, Friday afternoon? No, we never worked on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> and I believed it for the longest while. And then I realised it was actually nonsense. Actually, today is the best day. And I know that sounds a bit trite, but it's true. Um, and you make, it as, you make it as good as you want it to be. Um, and it's still a deadlines business. So this, if you can get your work done... Then there's time to play and do all of those silly things. And yes, definitely waste money on cars. Um, if, you get the, if you get the chance to buy a, a 75 Brown Chevy Caprice Classic, do it. I did. Don't, don't regret a thing. Okay. Good, good answer. Good answer. You've also answered one of our follow-up follow questions um, in the same foul swoop, actually. But I wonder, Nikki, do we want to know about what makes advertising great today if the good old times are not actually the good old times? Anyways? Absolutely. You did answer my question a little bit, but we talked about this already. That's okay. I'll let you away with this. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, we think we always think, you know, it's better 20 years ago. But what are the big things now and what's still happening that you can tell us about? I think this, there's every bit as much fun to be had. The people are the people. Creatives are creatives, um, and including the account people in that uh, as well. But I think uh, I think the big change, uh, the big change is all the responsibilities that you have. I mean, I started just before they put creatives on the clock, uh, and I think that was when it was three martinis uh, Friday lunchtime because there was yeah. mm-hmm. there was n- there was nobody calling you to account. There was nobody. By the moment they realised creative could be monetized and put you on the clock, then you had timesheets and you started to think about well, how do I stay billable and those sorts of things. But you know, we can still fill out our timesheets um, the, the best we can and vaguely accurately. And I st- I think still think there's that freedom. I still think there's that fun to be had. It hasn't really changed that much. I just think the responsibility has come onto to creative shoulders. Um, more than perhaps it should. I mean, I remember the, mo- the moment they put Max on our desks and you started to become your own typographer and your own illustrator mm-hmm. and you could become your own editor. Um, and now, but now you're your own publisher as well. I think that's amazing. You know, you, you can and uh, directly, but it, but again, it falls onto the creatives to, to do it. Uh, it. It puts far more responsibility on their shoulders, I think. But in a good way, it gives you opportunity as well. I'm particularly loving the piece about the timesheet, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so where Nikki uh, currently works and where I used to work. Thankfully, thankfully, for the longest time, we didn't have timesheets, but I used to be a contractor with the organizations as well. So timesheets galore. And now I'm self-employed. So I am. Don't give them any ideas. Oh, don't. No ideas. <laughs> <laughs> don't do the contractors. I, I, don't do the contractors dirty is what I say. I did. Uh, I I did quite well up until recently. Uh, I found interns who I could pay to do timesheets. I mean, it was only a beer a week, but there was always somebody who there's there's always somebody poured off in an agency who will do your timesheets for a beer a week. So I'm I'm on the I'm on the search for somebody new actually, but uh, Tom. I, I'm probably bef- <laughs> yeah, Tom will do it. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. Um, but but there you have but there you have a dear audience member you know that's what you get to do when you're creative director Mm -hmm. so cruising straight past this uh, particular topic of conversation you mentioned that the ways of working have changed but as you said not per se for the worse so both nikki and i know so many people that worked in advertising in the late 90s and early 2000s you know when all of this money was poured into uh, into the industry and some of the stories that we know of wild parties and outrageous client meetings are just too good to pass up so do you care to dazzle us maybe with one of the gems from your repertoire well i can start you with my my first job was at, at leo Burnett in uh, 88 
and uh, I got invited to, to join in the committee organising a Christmas party, which was great because uh, we went out all these different locations, the Connaught Rooms and places like that, and and uh, asked to sample the menus. And I thought, well, this is a good way to make a living. And they're all laying, laying it on large for us. It was beautiful. But we, I, think, I didn't come up with this, but it was still one of the best parties I've been to. We did a, a Titanic party. And yeah, because some people want to dress up and I'm black tie it and other people want to do fancy dress and other people. So you just, the, the, the Titanic let you become, you could dress as the captain, you could be a stoker, you could be down in steerage, you could be a seagull, you could be what you wanted to be. And that was all well and good. And there was a string quartet and, uh, and everybody was having a good time. And then in a sort of slight change of the script, the uh, a giant foghorn went off halfway through and dry ice came in and the Titanic crashed. But rather than sink and die, it arrived on a desert island and the curtains went back and there was this uh, kind of tiki bar and a reggae band playing. And then all those that were in dinner jackets kind of stripped that stuff off. And it, it turned into a brilliant party. And and that went on until, that went on until the light came up there was yeah there's some dreadful sights in that one um <laughs> but it was but that was probably one of the positive things on the most negative side i did do a presentation once with a guy probably the worst there's been a few there's uh the worst presentation was with the american medical association who were just down the street from where the agency was at the time in chicago and and so you could you could kind of turn out of a bar and, and rock, rock down the street and make the meeting. <laughs> I presented alongside a guy who thought it was Madman. He was Don Draper personified, <laughs> except he was, a, he was a functioning alcoholic and he had a grey suit on and he started to wet himself during the presentation. And not sort of, in a, in a, just in a, an accidental kind of leaking kind of a way. And this spot just grew bigger and bigger until he had a sort of a dinner plate... Um, I was only there to support him. I think I was just showing a few boards, but I stepped in and, yeah, that were one of the shortest, but probably one of the most memorable. <laughs> I think he left the following week. Oh, my goodness. What did you do? Just step exactly. in and tell him to leave? No, I, re- I remember sitting there in silence and, and I'm not usually lost for words, you know, uh, but the client didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. So it, w- it was in the days of having boards rather than being on screen so that you could you could cover him up like a fan dance. But uh, yeah, he, he just he just wandered away. I think he didn't come back the next week from oh, memory, wow. but it's, it's going back a wee while. A wee while, dear me. This is actually a wonderful segue into the next uh, chapter of this particular podcast, getting into advertising and everybody. So if you're looking for a career that might be able to produce moments like this, maybe, you know, keep <laughs> stay stick with us. Keep listening. Keep listening. So let's talk a bit about your career journey, Jules. And let's, you know, take it from the top. Give us the full one one of your path into advertising. It's going to be a compound question. So did you study? And if you did study at university what was it? And how did you actually get started? And possibly, compound question, like I mentioned, um, what advice can you give to our listeners out there looking to start their own careers or transition into a, a new field nowadays? What do you see working in your world? Um, well, my, my personal journey, left school by mutual consent with, with not much um, and did a couple of jobs, uh, went to a local college, it was called a Daytech back in the time, did an advertising design. And I, and I did it because I, I knew I'd, I was good at writing stories and I was good at drawing and it, it sort of the one thing I could do and succeed at. I, I do remember um, at school, Mr. Hallett, the mean old sod, he was the, uh, he was an English teacher and he said, uh, he once turned around to me at a piece of work I'd written 
which which I used to ask. They always used to ask me to read out the things I'd, I'd put together for the class and ent- entertainment of the class. And he said to me, look me sternly in the eye and about to throw a, throw a chalk duster at me. And he said, English isn't supposed to be fun, you know. <laughs> and he couldn't have been any more wrong. But mm. you know, I, I thank him for saying it. English is a huge amount of fun, as is art. And, and, it, I, was, I, and I, could, uh, I could entertain and I could excite people with it. So I did that. I, 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 uh, I started drawing at college, uh, doing a very much a vocational course. But wanted to do more, uh, and this was in the in the northwest of England. Uh, so applied to what was a polytechnic back then to do graphic design, and that was hugely eye-opening. Um, I remember doing the the summer project uh, before we started, which is kind of the icebreaker. You know, how to take a section of wall and put up what you're all about. Mm. And the the piece of work I put up there, the tutor pulled it off the wall, put it onto a board, and walked it over to this Belfast sink, a big big farmers type sink they call it in America. The uh, and he run it, run it under the cold tap, and started rocking it around like one of those little balancing games with the little ball bearing. And I was livid at the time. And then I realised he'd done me the biggest favour. It was so exciting. And that was a course down in London that was, you know, all the kind of like a foundational type thing to start with silversmithing and textiles and just the world of creative arts. And you just meet so many people, and the and the and the talent pool was so high. I went from being a, you know, sort of the, the the go-to guy at my local college to then be in the bottom of the heap at, at, down in London. <laughs> but I got started there and, and I knew I wanted to do advertising. There was people, there, like I say, doing all sorts of, going into fashion and different stuff. And I it just, I had a, a folder of stuff under my arm and I wrote to all the ad agencies that I thought would be good to work at, places that handled things like BMW, the ultimate driving machine. It's just so exciting. And and I think eventually, you know, you you just strike. You get there through your, your your passion and your energy, and and hopefully your spirit, and they see something in you. But I, I don't think there's a formal way in. Um, in terms of how to get started now, I think I think you can still do that. I think you can. I I know I still hire people. Uh, I had a copywriter a couple of years ago who just said they wanted to get into the business. And I said, well, what have you done? She said, I've written a play. So I said, well, send me your play. And it was great. It was a lovely piece of storytelling. It was only half built. And um, I'm sure it was just something she sort of started and, and didn't complete. But um, it was more than enough if you can, you know, she, she could do storytelling, which is what, what our industry is all about. I think you can still go to ad schools. I think in the UK, we've still got places like Watford that turn out great places. In, in And then, of course, in America, New York, Miami ad schools, and those kind of places still churn them out. But I don't think there is a hard and fast way, nor, nor should there be. Mm. Uh, I think you just it's just the tenacity to stick at it. That's what you're going to need if you want to get on get on in this one. I'm not sure if that's helpful. But, oh, uh, very helpful. I love so how eloquent. you... Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you brought in the people you meet as well. You know, sometimes they're bad, like your teachers, but then you kind of get over that and you get to the next person and you go somewhere else and you get a really good teacher or a mentor. Like, it seems like you feel like you are. We're going to go into that later. But, you know, the people you meet is so important to help you to drive that on. So, look, the next question is, right, we've got there. You're in. And something we all struggle about, struggle with after that is staying there and how to progress your career. Um, so you're now a creative director, pretty fancy. <laughs> but it must have, as you've already kind of alluded to, it's been a long road and uh, you've traveled many ups and downs, shortcuts. Is there any shortcuts or surprising terms, turns, sorry, that you can give us? I, th- I think, you know, that, that creative director jumbo shrimp title, um, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> 
I think there are twists in it, but there are in everybody's career. I don't know if you go into architecture or street sweep, whatever you whatever you're going to do. You, I don't. I think there's very few people that, that plot in a, in a straight line. I know. Uh, I think what made a difference. Well, what makes a difference is get stuck in. If you can, if you can get yourself a gig wherever it is, an agency. Look around you, and it's a solutions business and a deadlines business. People always need help, and there are enough. There are enough people in this industry who just want to be in the industry, and that's good enough. Um, and they'll survive, and they're useful, and you need them to just kind of put through the everyday business of, of the agency. But then there are those people who just step forward and do stuff. And, and for me, it was um, just seeing. A, I saw a creative director in the corner. At, office who was clearly having a bad time looking to get more involved in pictures and looking to get more involved get his head above water I wasn't getting a break with anybody else I I was supposed to be mentored by an art director who who turned around and said oh we don't do things that fold here and I used to love the things that fold they were you know menus for pizza hut or door hangers for Mm. McDonald's and things like that Mm -hmm. and that and that's where you know the bar's low nobody really cares about those tray liner promotions were great nobody wanted to work on those I thought they were terrific fun um, so how do you get going? Stick your hand in the air. Um, if there's a softball team, design the T-shirts. Go and find somebody in production who can, can, can stick some T-shirts on a client bill somewhere. Just go and solve problems. Wherever you, wherever you see it, help people out, and, and it will start to gravitate towards you. Just be one of those, you know, with, I don't want to talk like your dad or something, but it, it is nudge theory. It's just do 3% more than anybody else. Don't do 5% more because nobody likes a fucking smart ass, right? <laughs> nobody likes to suck up. True. But Oops. but try and do 3% more. I mean, what, what else are you going to do on a, on a on a wet Tuesday evening? You know, go home to your apartment, go, you know, go make a pizza or whatever you're going to go do. Hang out. You'll, you'll find it in the margins. Find find people you can help. Uh, and and I think things will start to gravitate towards you. And just stick at it. Stick at it. Be nice. Work hard. It's that stuff, isn't it? I think the other, if you if you wanted a, a linchpin moment towards getting into to to uh, creative leadership and onto creative director, it's it's getting in front of the client, isn't it? And I, we talked about this interest is all about storytelling if you can articulate yourself internally you'll find people that will want to put you in front of the client because the clients want the stories they want the art they want the endeavor they want to know what they're paying for so if you can if you can articulate yourself well enough you'll quickly find yourself in front of the client and it'll only be three slides it'll be slides 97 through 99 or something like that mm-hmm. uh, and they'll tell you you've got 10 minutes to present you'll wind up with two which is perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh I think that is a separator if you can if you can talk about if you're willing to talk about what you're doing. There's a lot of creators who think that that that, that talking to clients is a necessary evil. You know, they'd much rather be in the studio or hanging out with their creative pals. And I get it, and and and, and that you know it works if you're talented enough, you can do that. But I think if you can get yourself in front of the client and actually start to influence things and start to show them show them that the, the passion and endeavor then you'll start to get invited to do it more and more. And that's, you know, you start to have influence and then you start to have people asking you to lead things. How's that? Too, uh, much, like your, too oh, much like your dad? All right, look, um, whatever you are, the big shrimp or the daddy character, I think you've just successfully closed the episode for us. It's been wonderful having you on, but you just ca- casually gave us Everything. so much wonderful information. I'm just going to 
appreciate and <laughs> absorb it. Everybody who is listening, just go told, back in the I episode real quick. Not, not the biggest, not the best. Here I am. And also not shy for words. And I love it. <laughs> so we're just going to keep going. But I'm going to make a very hard beeline into a bit more of a serious topic. Um, because we've got listeners out there that are just starting out, just as we have seasoned career professionals seeking new challenges. And so I think it's time we finally talked about inclusion as it refers to age. So especially in the ad industry, right, where there's a million people that want to become, you know, account executive or work in marketing. What's your experience here, Jules, on the whole, you're too old to play with the kids or are you too young to even be allowed to share your opinion? I think, you know, it's very easy to get past your sell-by date in an industry like this. Uh, um, but, I mean, I don't think anybody listen, will be listening to this podcast of, of my kind of vintage, uh, so I'm not sure how relevant it will be, but... Um, yeah, when when you when you get there, you just keep giving away everything you know. There was uh, when I started at Leo Burnett when they were on on St Martin's Lane back in the day, and uh, there was a there was a fantastic illustrator, Mark Pen guy, and he used to lock his door at lunch times when he went out for a pint, and then only unlock it when he came back. He had to, he had to slide paperwork under the door. He didn't want you to see what he could do. Um, and it, and it sort of tactically meant, well, he's the only guy who can do that certain technique or deliver that sound. Can I send it? But that that's tactical. I think um, I think what you've got to do is tell everybody what you know and share it with them as, as, as much as you can. Not everything will stick. Not everything will make sense to people. But I think if you want to have any longevity, just give it give it away. And and again, that that kind of gravitational movement. If you can help somebody once, or if you can. You know whether it's inspire them or help them survive a project or just get them through the day. You know people will come back to you and you get that. You know they, they you start you start to fulfil your own prophecy. I think when you do that, um, and then when you have been in the, have done it for a long while and you have got stories about people urinating themselves in, you know you have kind of seen it. You have <laughs> so it's not the first time. I know you know you say I, I am at that stage where people clam up when I come down the corridor because. God knows nobody ever ever slept with anybody else at the agency, or you know that's all brand new. God knows no, you know, that never happened in the past. But yeah. um, you know, as long as you accept that, um, I, I always, when I was younger, I always wanted the grey hair people out of the way, and you know, of course, you were full of that piss and vinegar of being younger. And but now, you know, from perspective, you see the value in it, and and hopefully, you can provide value to the people around you. So you've kind of tapped in a little bit Jules into the knowledge transfer idea there and it's something we talk about a lot you know coming from the sports world as a team it's always important to have a range of experience a range of age but it's not something that everyone feels empowered to do where they work right because maybe their manager holds things to themselves they don't let them kind of come out and tell their story or tell their ideas so what sort of um like people have you met that have been able to do this and what what qualities have they given and that to show that and to help people to do that i i think they're um you look for those people who realize we're as smart as all of us not as smart as one of us again don't don't put your arm around your homework those people they i don't think they tend to succeed anyway in agencies because agencies working between the lines down the corridors over a pint and all the rest of it i think um Agencies are meritocracies. You'll you know you'll find people who want to make themselves famous, but they do stick out. Um, and even those people who want to make themselves famous, they'll they'll often reach out because they know you've got something that that they need, even if they don't give you credit for it. But I think the smart people are the people who do see it as a meritocracy. Look out for the people who want to include you. Um, but don't don't wait 
for somebody to formally invite. You don't think the world is going to stop and somebody comes down the corridor and says, look, we're really busy, but I've got to talk to you about half an hour about the contribution you can make here. That's not how it works. It's not how it works anywhere. If you find, a, it works both ways. If you find a seam, if you find somebody that wants to have a conversation or will tolerate a conversation with you, have the confidence to do it because I think that's the other thing. I think people, you look at, senior people at work and think oh i am you know i don't have the boldness to to try and challenge them or add my opinion um and one of the one of the things um i talk about it i try and help people with, with presentational skills and again just because i've done it for a long while if you're if you're in an agency and you have a title if it's junior copywriter you're the best junior copywriter on the job if you're a traffic manager you're the best traffic manager um if you're an account intern you're the best account intern you know have the confidence you know people gave you that title you didn't self-style it it's not like you gave yourself the a stupid title not the biggest not the best or anything like that you know it's um <laughs> just just realize that hopefully you know if you work in a place that is hierarchical and clearly doesn't want doesn't want your opinion move go somewhere where they do but but yeah don't wait for that formal invite it cuts both ways if you find somebody that that you, th- you th- opens up a conversation or wants to have you in a room, just include you in a meeting. Remember, they've included you because they want you to take part, not because they want you to fetch a drink or, or open the door or flip the chart or whatever it might be. Mm. So it kind of cuts both ways. You know, the, p- People will follow success, can contribute all you can. Hopefully you find people that, that think no idea was made worse by being shared, you know? Mm. I think, you know, people also follow this um, a can-do attitude that is both yeah. aspirational but also realistic. You know, mm. if you also you just have these sort of energetic bunnies that will just not stand still and pause and think. So it's very self-promotional with very little substance. But you finally got this gig. You're finally in this agency. I understand how it can be, or any job really, how it can be very easy to just succumb sort of to the unspoken rules of that place. You know, the culture, and you know it, you feel it. The culture doesn't feel right, but I just got this job. I want to stick around. And you start to sort of twist and bend out of shape a little bit. And there's a wonderful tool out there in the form of a person, generally speaking, um, that is mentorship. And I think mm-hmm. everybody needs one. Everybody needs one. So I would love to talk about that for a minute. So because the saying goes, employees leave managers, not companies. So what makes a good manager, not mentor in this case, to your mind? And as someone starting a new job, is there something we can all sort of look out for when deciding whether we want to work for that person or not? Managing is about supporting people around being sitting on top of them. I know that's that's obvious, but if you think about an org chart of, or any department, it'll be a, that equilateral, tri- equilateral triangle with a point at the top, and any manager is supposed to be on the top of that. If you, you, I think the theory is you've got to turn that round as if you're like a charioteer of, of four horses going all in all different directions, <laughs> but loosely held together on some reins somewhere. Um, make yeah it's just some sharing people i think um the good thing in an agency when it when it when it comes to finding a mentor or finding something to glom onto every day in every agency there will be something that's late or something that hasn't been completed or something that needs to be done a bit better than it is um you know so there's always opportunity to be that shiny penny mm. uh, and it, and again you know we have we would like the agency i work at now is a formal mentoring program um, and I think most agencies 
of any note do have me if you don't have one in your agency start one start helping the people up the ladder start hauling them up um but i also you know you made a good point about you you see those shiny pennies you see those bunnies and agencies you're not you're not going to get rich in an agency anytime soon so you might as well enjoy yourself and aim, aim at the job you want when it comes to mentorship if there isn't a program i think you i'd, I'd be being an old grumpy sod here but prove you prove your worth being mentored mm-hmm. you know do that little bit extra do help that person offer to stay and 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 put a deck together offer to stay and organize or whatever it needs to be done and i think that's where they come out because i think uh, you know in managers when you've got you know 15 20 people in in a in a, in a creative department you're looking after you it's great spending time with 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 younger people coming into the business people you naturally gravitate towards but you, it's those people that that just step up and offer and and they, it makes them they make they become irrefutable they become irresistible and i think then you start to work with them and start to help them beyond the nine to five and that becomes its mentor, mentorship but i think show some desire show some thought um you know um i did uh this may be idiosyncratic, maybe just me, but I had a conversation with a human resources person going back about, gosh, four or five years, perhaps more. And we were talking about an individual and she said to me, she, she nailed it, she said, you just get bored with those kind of people, don't you? And they absolutely nailed me. I do. And I think everybody does. You know, if people are going to come in and punch the clock or people say, well, it's not really my responsibility or, well, it is, it's 5.35 now. Oh, okay. Well, if if that's the way you want to play it in a kind of contractual way, or if it's a quid pro quo, mm. you know, it's never going to be that way. You know, uh, you're not going to you're not going to succeed anyway, and definitely not in agencies. You're always going to have to give a little bit more mm. to get get noticed. But it doesn't take a lot, like I say. You know, so I think that mentorship thing's reciprocal. Prove you're worth it, and you'll find those people will come come to you. Mm. But it, uh, but I do see really see the the value in in mentorship. Um, and well, we haven't we haven't talked about it yet, but I think intern. <laughs> this is the, I believe in mentorship. I really really do. Um, uh, but I also believe in interns. I know it's a little more more tactical, but if you can, uh, in interns who are coming to work for free or coming to work for a not nominal wage, they're already proved themselves that they want to get into this industry. They're not doing it quid pro quo. They're doing it quid. Or, or pro quo, they're doing one side of the other, but not the other. And I think that by its very nature says, look, I'm here and you're going to abuse me. I just want to be in this. Well, that's worth mentoring from a start. You know, mm-hmm. just sticking your hand as an, an, an intern, whether that's whether you're starting out or whether you're looking to switch careers, find uh, and agencies will help let you come in for a month or two months and work for nothing. <laughs> that's that kind of low life they are. <laughs> I think you've given up loads of interesting information. You actually took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say um, that... These relationships are reciprocal, mm-hmm. yeah. But especially where sort of the conventional power dynamics that you would be expecting are concerned between mentor and mentee. If you're the mentee, don't sit there and wait for it all to happen to you. You know, always give more than you're expecting to receive. I think that's a really good piece of advice. It mm-hmm. also goes to show that what we were talking about earlier, you know, go that extra mile, spend that, you know, extra minute on something. It's not about sitting there for 20 hours. That will not make you no. the standout person. Be there and show up and be cognizant of the people around you in areas where you can actually go and be of help yeah. because that will just keep coming back to you and keep coming back to you. Do, do it in that human way. I also like that idea. Somebody, uh, you know, you've been at places where, 
you don't leave until the department heads, until the boss leaves, nobody leaves. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, there's, there's not a prize for staying late, surely, <laughs> you know. Being the last person out, is that's what's going to get you up the ladder? It's really not. There's an element of that. But again, don't don't try and be the last man standing. That's just going to be that's going to be tough. It's going to be boring. Plus, you're, you're sitting home. there. You might be just there to do that, right? There's no. Yeah, you're not exactly. actually doing any work. So what's the yeah, point? You well, need like, to be strategic, actually, think, right? You need. To I be. think that's a really good point. If I'm yeah. sitting here doing nothing, then I'm proving I'm useless. If you're <laughs> sitting there and you're helping, then like you say, you 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 kind of become your own brand, don't you? you? Become your own product when you're in an agency like that. Yeah. Just. So, and be yeah. strategic about it as well, I guess. Mm. Now, quickly, a little bit more into mentorship. Have you had any mentors in your career? I, I've, I've definitely got. There's two people that um, who huge, huge impact on me. They weren't former mentors. One was a career director, and one was uh, an account service person. Um, and we're all, we're all a product of the people that went before us. It's just you know, hopefully you, you add your own bits along the way. Um, but yes, there are people that have. They've mentored me with, at times when I needed help, and not at work. They're, people I got on well with at work, and, and I was having a tough time. And people who put their arm around me and, and uh, offered to take me, offered off me a bed for a couple, not not the same bed. He was, he was <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would have been a different Happy kind of mentorship. That's a caveat but, in there. But, right there. <laughs> exactly. but a but a guy who like used to like a pint of Boddington's, and and, and I think. Uh, so yes, there are, there are there are people that you cling to and gravitate to, but they're not always you know your line manager or a direct person. I just um, having having espoused the value of mentorship where where I'm working now, where there was they were looking for volunteers to become mentors, and I looked at what I've got to do in the next six twelve months at work, and I thought, oh no, let somebody else pick that up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then the mentor the, the mentor committee came back to me and said, why have you not volunteered? <laughs> Everybody on the committee thinks you'd be a brilliant mentor. And you know what? That that unfettered flattery <laughs> worked perfectly. <laughs> uh, but I said to them, I said, who who will I get? Who will I mentor? Because I'm not always around to, to help people. And they said, well, we guarantee it won't be somebody from your department. It won't be somebody in your uh, in your channel. So I'm gonna kind of looking forward to it now. Whether it's an account person or a strap person or a, a who knows what person, but uh, <laughs> we'll have fun as long as I I did say as long as they as long as they drink, I'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah that's, we're going to talk about that later i'm sure, yeah, I'm sure um quick one more question so the reputation of mba as a great opener doors is crumbling a little bit and we've heard people whispering about mba fatigue do you think it's completely straight advertising record at mba to boot make them the best candidate to join your team or is it you know diversity of thinking that is more relevant today i I wouldn't knock it because I'm, I'm. I think you know those people who do have MBAs and do have degrees and certificates and letters. Uh, but no, I don't think it's mandatory. I think it's, you know, agencies are meritocracies. They're looking for original talent. They're looking for people who aren't formulaic thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, talking about a writer I worked with recently who's just just got up and moved and got a terrific um, position working on Red Bull or with with Red Bull. The um, and he was always very proud to say to me, oh, we did this at college or we learned this at college. Mm. And I, he was one of the people I called last week you know, when I knew I was going to come on and chat chat to you. Uh, I called around a few people to, to gather opinion. People, anybody who was under 504 years old. <laughs> and uh, and I, I said to him, I said, you were always very proud. You always referenced it when we worked together. That, oh, you got a degree and we did this at college. 
And then it was really that I found out he was a copywriter and a terrific, and a terrific copywriter. And he said, yeah, he goes, it was in Belfast. And he said, well, I, I started off doing graphic design. I said, well, how did you get to be a writer? He goes, oh, I was terrible at graphic design, so I just switched. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, I just found the person who was best at graphic design and I just started writing for them. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> which, is, which is beautiful. Which is, you know, yeah. there's, some, there's some thoughtful way to go about it. So, yes, those experiences got, got him to where, and um, we'll, we'll see him in good stead, but I've always, I've, like I said, I had a writer who just wrote a play and mm-hmm. said, I can communicate. I think they, those people can come from anywhere. And especially now when you look at things like um, social media agencies where, you know, if you've got a laptop or a mobile phone, you've got a tablet, mm-hmm. you're creating your own content, you're, you're writing it, you're art directing it, you're publishing it for yourself. You can walk into an agency and say, look at this, it got half a million imp- impressions or it mm-hmm. got you know, this many likes or this many reactions. If you, if again, you, if you know how to storytell in that channel, that's all you've got to prove that you can, you can take a story from somewhere and dramatize it and play it back in a, in a thoughtful way. So, yeah, you we, go to college, find yourself a, a writing, art directing, you know, team up and do that. Traditional books still work. Mm-hmm. Um, then you may not be, you may not be partners for life, but you can probably help lever each other into mm-hmm. a position. Um, but again, you know, write a play, have a book, do it independently, um, uh, and like I say, in the, in the digital space, be your be your own media. I think that's a wonderful um, wonderful piece of advice. It doesn't really matter um, what you have studied per se, so long mm-hmm. as your story is integral, and so long as you can narrate as to why are you here, mm-hmm. why are you standing in the office of the hiring manager, wanting to have the gig, and what have you done in the past, irrespective of whether on paper this fits or not. Yeah. will enable you to do that job. My background is, as people have just heard in our special episode, a Bachelor's of Science in Integrated Coastal Marine Management from Van der Ladestein University of Applied Sciences, and then I decided to come to Switzerland where there's no ocean. <laughs> and it somehow all worked out. I'm surprised you, you remembered that. I will it's never so forget long. it because I had to write it onto my... It doesn't fit on the CV, that's the issue, that's how I remember <laughs> Anyways, let's track on. We've talked about how to sort of get into advertising, but what is it like to be in advertising, Jules? So there's so many myths, so many fantasies. One of them you've popped very um, wonderfully. You're not going to get rich anytime soon. You know, it's not like Don Draper fast cars immediately. But seriously, though, like give us the good. What do you love about it? The bad, the gorgeous, the ugly. Um. I love the stu- I love the silliness of it all. Um, I think as long as you have a, a healthy disrespect for what we do, I think you know there's so much there's so, there is so much piety now. Um, every piece of content, every kind of every brand is trying to say that they're they're doing something useful for the planet or people, and, and I get it, and it's important, it's real. But I think um, our industry is about escapism. It's about taking you somewhere else. I, I, I work with a um, a recruiter worked with him for about twenty years. Terrific guy. I asked, and if you and he's really hard bitten guy. He'll find your candidates and he'll get them in there. And he, he's really good at good at uh, putting this putting the people together. Um, and I said to him, why did why did you get into this? And he said, Guinness surfers. You know, and then we say Guinness surfers, and everybody goes dum 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 dum. You can't. It's, it's that kind of uh, Pavlovian reaction to that piece of work. And he said he looked at that. And he said, I know what, I went to the supermarket and there was a, there was a drink there on the shelf, Guinness, that was bought by old people. And he said, I actually went out the next day and I bought it because it gave me license to do that. It was, you know, there was, 
it was still the same product. It was still the same old graphics, you know, still the same, uh, nothing changed. But you look at Guinness Surface and you felt different about the world. It gave mm-hmm. you permission to go and do that. So it is, it's inspiring, but it's ephemeral and silly. Um, but there's so much fun, to, there is so much fun to be had. I mean, from the from the stories to, but just the creation. Um, I like, uh, I like, Karl Marx's description of it. I think if if you can throw a loop around the industry and take it for what it is. So Karl Marx, I think, said, advertising is the maggot that that feeds on the rotting carcass of capitalism, (laughs) which is a lovely piece of language, perhaps a little sour. Um, But if you look at it like that, you know what? That's if that's all we are. We, you know, don't don't get too serious about it. Mm. There's another guy, uh, and I used to have this on my wall many years ago. I'm sure it's in an old bag somewhere a guy called mike hughes who ran the, the martin agency in richmond on the east coast and he said this it, it wasn't like his big major quote it was just a little mid-paragraph piece of language that he used i think it was it i think it was in Lurzers. and he said this isn't great art this isn't great anything it's advertising but it does make things like in his service and it does make we try harder it does let you I, there's pieces of language that I wish I'd written. Um, at Kellogg's, there was a there was a, a, a campaign for for cornflakes years ago to taste them again for the first time. Obviously, at a time when cereals were getting more exciting and I had different flavors and different ingredients and different packaging and 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 if you do taste cornflakes again for the first time, they're brilliant. They're really good. It's a truism, and there's a piece <laughs> of the other piece of language. You know. It, but it's stupid. You know, it's, it's the most silly business you could get into. One of my favourite bits of language is um, from Quavers from the mid-90s. And I think Len Henry used to deliver the, the voiceover on it. But Quavers, if you don't know Quavers, they're a little uh, fried snack. And they come out when, when they when they cook, they blow up and they puff up into weird shapes. But he said they taste curly. And if you've ever eaten a bag of Quavers, they do taste curly. But that's sur- that's that's a beautiful. It's surrealism at its top end, at its bottom end. It's a cheap line to sell some potato. But it's snacks, also the you know? power of advertising, eh? To give yeah. you the language to describe actually a yeah, flavour. It's wonderful. And it doesn't play by any rules, and you can make it up as you go along. As long as you understand, you know, to have a healthy disrespect, and then, but then enjoy it, because it makes a magnificent product, a great way to make a living, for sure. I know. You know what else is actually wonderful, as I'm sitting here listening to you speak, to actually speak to someone who is so in his element, mm. in the right path, and has spent his career hours in an industry that he is, after all this time, at the ripe age of, what was it, 37, I think. <laughs> Still so fascinated, so fascinated with all of it. Um, Nikki, takes to us. Yeah, for that. sure. Like, I just wanted to jump in as well on there because, like, you've been around for, for a good while in this industry and it must be difficult to, like, keep coming up with new things. But then every time I look at ad, ads on TV, and especially I get, like, blown away because suddenly this amazing ad comes out. You never think something's going to top something like Guinness, right? Or the Guinness ads mm. that they bring. But then something does, and you're just like, whoa, where are all these, like, ideas coming from? It's just amazing. It's it's unbelievable how it can still be creative. And you can, like you said, take a product like Kellogg's or something and suddenly make it yeah. nice again <laughs> or make, make you it. think about it again yeah exactly but, but then lovely thing i was talking to clients this morning about um you know ikea um i'm doing something really smartly sustainable not printing eight and a half million um, catalogs now every year they've, mm. they've taken so it's taken obviously to it on, online which is mm-hmm. easy but there's also an audio catalog now you know which is so there's a there's a podcast there of, of ikea talking about 
Billy the Shelf and Brilliant. how to revamp your kitchen. You, it, that's the most irrational, stupid, <laughs> brilliant thing you could think of doing. But it's pure IKEA, hugely innovative, um, great piece of multimedia. It's got that weird thing that it used, to, I guess you could say, the, the catalogue was a feast for the eyes, you know, it just lived in your living room and you could, you know, you might need a, a new shelf because one fell down tomorrow, but you might also be planning for a revamp in your house <laughs> or remodelling or something. So it just sits there full of inspiration. Uh, and, and a podcast does exactly the same thing. It lives in a, in a sort of lifestyle space. You pick it up when you want to and you feel better towards Ikea, whether whether it makes you go out and buy a shelf immediately or not. I don't think it's important, but what a huge, what a, what a stupidly brilliant creative thing that is. Yeah, Those and inc- are the things inclusive that are as well, right? Mm. It must be inclusive yeah. in there too, trying to help people who can't see the beautiful designs and, and well, I think making that, them think about it. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, doing a little bit of background before I talk to clients about it and coming across comments from, from people representing you know, um, the blind people yeah, saying, exactly. this is absolutely amazing. Mm. And, it, you know, radio has always been theatre of the mind, mm. and, and especially so for people like that. So, you know, it may be, I think it probably turns on far more people it turns off. But those are the exciting things, you know, playing around mm. an audio an audio catalogue. Brilliant. <laughs> you just that. mentioned their podcast is part of people's living room. People listen to it. They feel better. It's a Thank lifestyle choice. I really do hope that people feel like this towards <laughs> us as well. Me, certainly, <laughs> as we're recording this, I'm having all of the feelings. Jules, you've given us so much to think about. This was absolutely delicious however yes you're not quite off the hook yet is you, you Nikki? are not especially when you answered my first question before i even got to ask it <laughs> <laughs> so you've got as a pro- as we promised at the start your top three tips to share for our listeners so any anyone listening what are they to do immediately after listening to this episode go out if well uh, if you can get it if you can get a gig in this industry take it doesn't matter you cannot your first job cannot be a bad job in this industry nobody is going to pay you for the skills that you don't have as yet so if they i think traffic is a great place to start any kind of organizational anybody that can organize an agency will get welcome because they're so disorganized all the time (laughs) but if you can find a gig if you know somebody wail on them beat on them to get you in the door and if you get in the door then then find something to do and make yourself irreplaceable so don't sit there waiting for the you know we've all got favorite agencies we've all got favorite accounts we've got favorite locations don't worry about it just grab whatever you can grab um and, and make your way once you're in there you'll find it much easier and and don't and don't feel ashamed um i can't i've got to mention him now my my next door neighbours, I got their 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 son. I got him his first gig. He's you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. A bit of bit of healthy nepotism or all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Just just, just beat, beat the crap out of anybody that can get you a break. Nepotism <laughs> network. It even just starts use with the same your contacts in the oh, worst yeah, way. <laughs> I, I def, definitely say do that. Um, you, you won't hit first time. Uh, you're gonna need a thick skin. Like I said, when I when I started, I just wrote to the agencies that I thought I, you know. Way way before I th- anything was going to appear online or or, or anything like that, mm. um, you'll face rejection several times. Don't let it worry you. Will find somebody. It will click with somebody. You will find that somebody. And like I said, if you've got that attitude, say, look, I'm worth it. I'm worth pursuing. You can beat the snot out of me, and I'll keep coming back. Mm. And those people will always be celebrated. So so get yourself that tigger bounce and don't lose it. 
Um, Ticker bounce. I love us. And L'Oreal little. Yeah, I'm worth this. Oh, because you're worth it. <laughs> I was about to say perse- perseverance is the key to success in any career, but it's yeah. actually yeah. the ticker bounce. Ticker bounce. Whew. Jules, thank you for being here with us and for your many wisdoms. It has been a blessing. I've enjoyed it. It's great. It, it, it really it stirred up a lot of very old memories, and I got in touch with a lot of other people and, and now met you guys as well. It, it's terrific. I really enjoyed it. I I I hope some of this is of has some half-assed dignity and some value. Thank you so much, Jules, or should we say Big Shrimp? <laughs> Amazing stories and insights for us all. Now, next week, we have our very special episode where it's not just you and me, Tom. It's actually extra special. We have an award-winning author on the show talking about the lost art of connection. Be sure to tune in. It will be epic. But until then, let's go get it. Thank you.